All right, welcome to the Pacing the Pacers podcast. Uh, I am Nat Newell, the Indy Stars Pacers editor. I am here, of course, with James Boyd, our Pacers insider. Um, and this is uh, our uh, bi-weekly podcast. Um, we'll start with the biggest news, the breaking news. Miles Turner out indefinitely, according to a report, out uh, through the trade deadline. Just hit us with the details uh, first, James. Yeah, so it turns out it's a left foot reaction, which is not a left foot fracture, but from what I read online, it is basically um, the precursor to a left foot fracture, and if it goes untreated, um, that's what it could develop into. Um, it's, when I was reading, it's like an overuse type of injury. It's common among athletes, um, especially runners and things like that. So obviously that puts a wrench in things when it comes to trade value and trade plans. Um, you got Woj out here basically saying that he'll be out through the trade deadline, which is February 10th. Um, which naturally would definitely cause some people to not be shooters anymore of him. Big men and foot injuries do not miss a mix. So um, it's just been a weird week for the Pacers. I mean, um, this to me is probably a really, really big thing just because it kind of hampers your ability to change some things, and you don't want to, in my opinion, run run it back with this franchise. I mean, not, not this franchise, but this this group of players with this franchise. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's – Interesting that uh, I, I guess Turner is probably the one who's most talked about as being traded. Yes. Um, and now you've got it. I mean, and if you're trading him now, you're most of the teams that are being mentioned, or a lot of the teams that are being mentioned, are doing it because they want to help their team this year. Um, so you would think that this is something of a major blow, or do they need to switch gears and trade? Is it makes the bonus being more likely to be dealt, or what's your your thought on that? I don't think it changes much for them as far as their approach. I think after we will get into it, but like after the Miles Turner tweet um, and just the energy around the team, I think that they would probably want to keep Sabonis um, and, and, and move Turner at this point. Um, I don't think that, like I said, I don't think that changes their approach at all. It just depends on which teams are really, really interested in him. I know I read a report saying that the Mavericks. They kind of backed off before the injury, but I mean, did the Mavericks have anything really worth trading from Miles Turner in the first place? Um, they already have a pretty good defense. So, um, you look at teams like the Lakers, it's like, hmm, do, do they back off? So, you know, we'll see, but I think their approach kind of remains the same. And it just comes down to if a team is willing to roll the dice and, and if they trust like the reports and, and, and the doctors around the team to determine the extent of the injury. And it's good, again, that they caught it as a stress reaction rather than a stress fracture because it means that they can probably, you know, get some treatment done and help it, um, you know, develop or get better sooner rather than, you know, having a crack in his foot, which he doesn't have right now. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see how it'll play out, but I don't think it changes much. Um, yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And there was also a report out this week that the, the I guess the, the Pacers are asking for two first-round draft picks um, for Turner. I, I mean, my thing has always been, it's you know, two first-round draft picks sounds great, but if it's two picks in the 20s, if it's two picks in the low teens, does that do anything for you? Uh, for right. And that's the thing. I mean, Miles is he's, – he's proven that he's worth more than just like, you know, one – first round pick. But again, the injury kind of changes things. But I don't think it uh changes it to the point where you're not able to get at least a decent value back. I will say, um, for any trader, um, it would be smart to kind of lowball the pacers <laughs> in a sense to try to maximize what you get, you know, in return. But 
I think that if anything, it just changes what they can like basically um, set as like their their market value. It probably lowers a little bit, but you you should still be able to get, um, in my opinion, at least one solid first round pick um, along with maybe a decent young player. Um, the two first round picks, depending on where they are, could probably still be possible. But again, I think a lot of this could be determined, you know, if they come back, you know, two weeks from today is February 1st, which is still, um, you know, 10 days before the deadline is, it, it hits. If they come back in two weeks and say, hey, he's going to make a full recovery, he'll be fine, you know, by such and such a day, then that, I think, will probably, um, you know, make a lot of suitors basically um, go go be, be a little more aggressive, maybe be more a little more serious about it rather than backing off. So I would just say, you know, give it two weeks to see, you know, if this thing is like, you know, still as bad as it sounds today or if he's made some progress. And you, of course, referenced the the tweet. There was also an Instagram post um, from Miles this week. Uh, why don't you recap the the tweet for us first? <laughs> yeah, I'll try to recap it. And I, I can play that's, that's the joke with this. So Miles Turner, after the Boston loss last week in Boston, um, you know, I believe he played like one minute or one hour, not even one minute, one second of the overtime period was probably not pleased with the way he's been used. He tweets out, this ain't P, which is a uh, reference made popular by the rapper Gunna, who has a number one album, by the way, uh, for anyone out there listening, you know, looking for new music. All you Pacers fans who I know are really into, you know, um, young hip-hop music, you know, go check that out. <laughs> In all seriousness, it basically means that, you know, he wasn't happy, so he tweeted out basically, more or less, I'm not happy. I asked him about it at practice um, later that week, the first time we got a chance to talk to him, which was a couple of days later. He basically tried to downplay it, said he got blown off proportion for, quote, no reason. And I'm like, yeah, Miles, there definitely is a reason. <laughs> um, so I think it was more about nothing. I do think it was blown off proportion, like he said, so I'll give him credit for that. But um, you got to understand, when you're uh, an NBA player, you're involved in a lot of trade talks, um, you're not happy with your role. You've expressed it already previously with the athletics. And then again with that, you know, uh, cryptic tweet, you kind of have to expect that a lot of traffic, and a lot of buzz is going to be around that tweet. Um, and again, I asked him about it. He said it was, you know, more or less just him voicing his frustration with the team, how he is going. And the one interesting thing that I picked up on, which was unprompted, he was saying like, you know, I'm unhappy or, or, or I'm not happy. And a lot of folks in my camp, are not, you know, pleased with what's going on. And I'm like, hmm, your camp, like, you know, you should probably be talking about your team, um, you know, not your camp. But, you know, that's just how things have kind of gone for miles this, these last, you know, few weeks and months is just him wanting a bigger role. Um, even after the athletic article came out, his role never really changed. Uh, even when they had a COVID outbreak within the team, they were playing a bunch of G-leaguers and two-way guys. Um, he still really didn't take over or take the reins or impose his will in the game. I mean, his numbers before and after that athletic article and really the entire season have been the same. So, um, yeah, I think that he thinks uh, he's worth a lot more than what maybe the Pacers are giving him as a role. But as we've talked about previously on this podcast, outside of this podcast, and even myself among other colleagues around the team, it's like how much bigger does his role get on any team in the NBA? Um, it's not like he's shown that he can be a go-to guy, in my opinion. Yeah, and we talked about this the other day, but my take on it is if he's the four, number four scorer on a NBA championship contender, you're talking about a guy averaging probably what he's doing now, 12 points a game, seven, eight rebounds, 
you know, two and a half to three blocks, and he's on a really good team, he might be an all-star. I mean, that's not a whole lot different than Rudy Gobert. I mean, that... what he is and how he fits in on a team and how that could lead to some of the attention, it seems. I don't know if he wants attention, but but the respect or whatever you want to call it, um, the accolades, whatever you want, to, whatever word you want to use, seems like that's what he's looking for. And he could do it if the team was more successful. Um, it's just that's been the problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the head. I mean, when you're not playing well, you're not going to get a lot of recognition or attention. I mean – and even I know uh, a lot of the comparisons are between him and Sabonis, but Sabonis, you know, is having an all-star caliber a year, but he's not going to be an all-star because the team is not good. I mean, they've right. lost, at this point, I believe, 11 out of 12, or 10 out of 11. Um, you know, lost a, a barn burner yesterday, giving up, you know, 139 points to the Clippers without Kawhi um, Leonard and Paul George. I mean, that's that's bad. Um, <laughs> a Clippers team that had had a hard time scoring 100 in the game had more than 100 at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, and I believe Nicholas Batum, who had like a team high or close to it at 32 points, he scored them all in the second half. You know, so it's like I think the unique thing about – not even unique thing, the thing that I've learned, uh, I forget who, who made this quote, but it's like bad teams find a way to lose. So the Pacers are, in my opinion, a bad team. Like they're not, they're not good enough to really correct the mistakes that they've talked about all year. And it seems like they kind of invent different ways to lose games. I mean, you score 133 points, you know, in a game where, you know, you you got all these guys knocking down shots, and then you can't stop anybody, which is another unique way to lose. They haven't lost it that all year. A lot of these games have been down to the wire. We're not giving up 130-plus points. So um, I feel like they're just in this rut now where, again, you kind of have to make a change. And if you don't, I mean, this this becomes a lost season, and I know – Owner Herb Simon basically was saying, I don't want to tank, you know, I want to rebuild. But the ironic part about him making that statement a few weeks ago is that since then, they've essentially tanked without trying. <laughs> yeah, and they've lost a lot of games. They've won once, I believe, since Christmas. So it's it's been it's been it's been rough. This is an unintentional tank, <laughs> I believe. So uh I mean the other thing about Turner is that you either gotta um, I mean, he tweets that out, and you've got to understand people are going to respond to that. I mean, why else would you do it unless you want people to under to, to respond to it? Um, I just don't understand. I, I mean, and then when you address it, you got two choices. You got to either say, well, you got to own it and say, yeah, that's how I feel. I'm going to play hard here. I, you know, I respect and appreciate my teammates, whatever. But own what you tweeted. Um, right. Or you say, hey, I was frustrated, it was dumb, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it, and move on. But to say it's blown out of proportion or whatever, I mean, that's just, I mean, you know, you've got to know what you're doing. You're a professional athlete, understand what's going on when you make a decision like that. And then he puts out on Instagram, um, whatever it is, crypto.com center, um, with the bat signal. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, which I would interpret as him asking the Lakers to trade for him. I don't know if there's other theories out there. We certainly don't know that. He's injured. He's probably not going to talk. It's probably for the best. He doesn't talk after his last interview about this stuff. What was your take on the on the bat signal? Yeah, so I didn't write about this. I'm glad I didn't, I didn't write about this. I don't want to, you know, make any star into, like, you know, TMZ Sports where we're trying to, 
you know, every tweet that somebody puts out is, is, is we're trying to interpret it. But like you said, just reading the tea leaves, it, it, it's weird. It, it seems like, hey, come get me, basically. You know, I'm here. I don't have to go back to Indiana, you know, if, if you guys want to make that move. So that was weird. Another Miles thing where he's just, he's just ruffling feathers. And I don't know who's in his camp or who's in his ear, but um, obviously he's not happy. Um, I think anybody who would say otherwise would just be frankly lying. I think that Rick Carlisle handled as best as he can. You know, he's basically said more or less, Miles has been a professional. He comes to play. You know, we're going to try to use him in certain ways. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he is who he is. He's a, he's a great shot blocker, pretty good three-point shooter. His, his length um, and his size and ability to shoot the three while also defending the rim makes him a hot commodity. But it doesn't make him this star, you know, so – um, could he help a team like the Lakers? Absolutely. Could he help any team in the league? I think that Miles is one of those players when you put him on any team in the NBA, because of his skill set, he makes them better. But I don't think that any team in the league would want him to be more than what he already is, if that makes sense. Like, we're not, they're not trading for Miles Turner to become a superstar in his seventh season. I think that they're, they've kind of accepted what he is in his seventh season and like it and then probably want him to come do it for their team. So, um, my interpretation of the bat signal is that uh, it's just Miles being Miles. And, you know, I, the next time he's available, I probably won't ask him about a, a bat signal on Instagram. But <laughs> I think that, um, you know, if someone were to, it'd be a fair question just because, you know, you just never know what, what, what the way the NBA is. And I laugh because could you imagine, you know, beat writers 20, 30 years ago, you know, could you if you could tell them what the future will be like, you know, are you writing about tweets and, and, and following Instagram posts and stuff like that? They probably think that we were crazy, but this is the NBA that we're in right now and, and the world we're in right now. Social media drives a lot of content and a lot of, you know, insight as far as what players are thinking and feeling. So um, we'll keep an eye on the miles and stuff, obviously, because that's part of the job, but it is kind of crazy to be talking about that signal. Um, we're not superheroes or in Gotham, so... <laughs> and it's uh, and again, I don't really have an issue with it. if he feels like he'd be more effective or his career would be better off being on another team. You know, that, there's nothing wrong with that it's, as long as he's not. You know, as long as he's playing hard, which I mean, as you noted, Rick Carlisle says he is. Um, so I, you know, the, the, he's got a contract. That, to me, it's just there's a better way to do this and to complain about something being blown out of proportion. And to then put something else on social media that's easy to miss, you know, that is open to interpretation, it just makes you wonder. Uh, I was in the Keep Miles camp, um, but after the, this week, it's a little bit harder to, uh, to, to you know, I, I, you know I, it seems like he's the one who needs to go at this point. Yeah, we'll see. And that, that's, that, that's the thing. I think at this point we're all um, in this mode where the next, you know, Three weeks are going to be really, really interesting to see what moves get made, um, if any at all, and definitely will, you know, create a lot of uh, work for me to do, which I'll <laughs> flatly accept. Um, because I, I've written about it. Yeah, and, I, and I've written about yeah. it in a while, but it's like, you know, there, there's just, there just isn't, um, there isn't much to, to, to me to, to left to prove or to figure out with this roster, even when they're fully healthy, they're still not very good. And and, and kind of segueing into our next point, um, we talked about uh, Malcolm Brogdon as well being hurt. And he's been dealing with the right Achilles uh, injury since for about a month now, I believe. It's been a month or, 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 or close to it or, or right over it. So um, he's a guy who's hardly played um, and – 
I think that his injury might be even more concerning than um than Miles's just because they won't even say really what Malcolm Brogdon's injury is. If all it is is a short right Achilles, I'm just wondering why they haven't shut the guy down, why they haven't said, hey, he's going to be out indefinitely as well. They keep basically saying he's day-to-day and the day comes and he either, you know, returns to play and, and then leaves the game um, because of the right Achilles or he doesn't play at all. But I don't understand what's the point in them steady trying to, like, push him through it or him trying to push through it. And then, you know, I think I put I put in the story, and he was saying, like, a, I'm paraphrasing him, he was saying, like, yeah, Achilles ruptures, so that's what we're trying to avoid right now. And it's like, what? And he's like, I'm trying to strengthen it and do some other things. And he talked to Kevin Durant about it, who tore his right Achilles and has come back and been an all-NBA player, an all-world player. But that Achilles word in sports is not good. Um, it's very scary. And the fact that he hasn't played in a month, makes it seem like, is this more than just a sore right Achilles? And if so, again, why does he keep coming to practice and practicing and trying to play on an Achilles that he was basically saying, you know, uh, could rupture? So it's just, it's really weird. Yeah, it seems, it strikes me as like, there's no, there seems to be more benefits to Brogdon not playing. In, In other words, the team's not as good. It's going to get a better draft pick. They're not going anywhere this year, so what's the point of, of having him play? So, but to then, but he keeps trying to play. <laughs> That's what throws me off. Is I don't think the the Pacers are trying to pull anything here, and why would they? They could just say he's injured because he clearly is. It's just, but it is very odd that it, this is a serious, potentially serious injury that he's trying to play through. Almost it seems like it. I, I can't wrap my mind around what's going on, with, you know, because of that. Yeah, and and again, that just you know just adds on to the things that have kind of plagued the Pacers this season, injuries, COVID. Um, like COVID thing is, is with any team, injuries are just a, a uniquely, not just a uniquely Pacers thing, but the way they've been hurt over the last few years, even before I got on this beat, has been very, very just weird and eerie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just hard to figure out what this team is um, as far as assets and things like that because Malcolm is the only one who can't be traded in season, but doesn't mean he can't be traded after the season. Um, and, and would he be up, you know, would he be on the market? Who knows at that point? But it is concerning that, you know, this guy who has been injured pretty much throughout his career. I mean, this is not a new Malcolm Brogdon thing, but again, the Achilles is, is what is the part that makes it, you know, so concerning. And he said it himself, basically saying, you know, more, most injuries, you can kind of push through it. You can kind of determine, um, you know, how far you can go. But with the right Achilles, you really don't want to push it. Um, because you don't want to, you know, rupture it and be out a year. So um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, they play again against the Lakers on Wednesday um, and got a few more games, you know, this week on on this West Coast trip. But, I mean, do we see them, you know, during this West Coast trip? I don't know. And and, and if we don't, is that a good thing? Um, Would that be the best decision? Um, Again, I don't know because they will basically not say – whether or not, um, you know, this this thing is more just a sore Achilles. I mean, if it's just sore, then what does that really mean in regards to an Achilles? You know what I mean? Like a sore Achilles is not a sore elbow or wrist. So I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, we've got expert Carlisle about it. He's not a doctor either. Um, you know, Malcolm has traveled with the team. He's been – I've seen him going through pregame warm-ups and stuff like that, even for games he didn't play in. So um, it's it's really – a uniquely weird situation that we'll just have to monitor. Yeah, it just it seems like 
there's no reason not to shut him down, whether it's it doesn't have to be the rest of the season. It could be a month, but it seems odd not to shut him down. Yeah. Uh, for an Achilles in- type injury, but uh, like we were saying, like, what if you just shut him down through the All Star break and brought him back yeah. after that? But there's been no talk of that or anything like that, so we'll just have to see. You know, I'll just check the injury report basically every day to see. You know, him listed as questionable, and then ask Rick Carlisle if he's going to play, and then Rick Carlisle will most likely say no, and then we'll keep doing this fucking dance. So. The glamorous life of an NBA beat writer. There you go. Got to got to stay persistent, man. It, it's been glamorous for me. Very very glamorous the last few days. So, <laughs> um, I put out a tweet today about uh, the Pacers have not drafted a have not had a single digit draft pick since uh, 1989 when they took the great George McLeod. Um, every other NBA team has had at least one single digit draft pick in that time. Most have had. Far more than that. Uh, the most was Minnesota with 20. San Antonio had only had one. That was, of course, Tim Duncan. So if you're going to have one, that's a good one to have. Um, and then, you know, there's been a, there's been a lot of ch- uh, conversation on my Twitter feed about it because uh, it's just it's a it's also a Derek Schultz uh, specialty stat. He's mentioned this for for years and years and years. The thing that struck me as odd is a lot of the conversation was about how this was like some terrible thing. And what it really means is the Pacers have won a lot of games. I mean, and in fact, they have the seventh best winning percentage in that time frame. Um, but it is a remarkable statistic to have zero single-digit picks. They did trade for Jonathan Bender, who was a single-digit pick. Um, but uh, but I mean, just what was your reaction to seeing such a crazy number? I think that it shows they've never really bottomed out. Like, they've just never really – I don't know if you want to call it tanked or, or, or gone into rebuilding mode or however you want to frame it. They've just never gone that route, and they've been stuck in, in my opinion, one of the worst positions in sports where you're not bad enough to get really good based off of, uh, you know, a pick that could be a franchise player like a Tim Duncan, um, you know, or you're not good enough to really get past the first round. They've, they've been um, essentially just a middle-of-the-pack, pretty you know, decent, good team um, ever since Paul George left in, I believe, 2014. So um, they haven't had a star player, um, and that's what you get when you have a high pick. I'm not saying you get it all the time. I mean, you can look at some of these teams who have gotten a bunch of high picks. The Kings, for example, Minnesota's another where they haven't won anything, you know, hardly. But um, I think it would behoove the, the Pacers to – that, you know, I, I don't know if they're trying or actually trying, but it wouldn't hurt to get a top 10 pick or within a top 10 pick, rather, you know, a single digit pick up in a year. I know everyone is keeps, you know, every time I tweet about the Pacers and their record, um, a bunch of fans will at me and say, you know, we're, we're getting Jay Nivey. That's the plan. Um, <laughs> I saw, I saw Jay Nivey hurts me in my Illini yesterday. Um, with his explosiveness, he's got some you know holes in his game that he can work on as well. But he's obviously going to be a top five pick. In my uh, you know long way to basically tell all these Pacers fans that there's no guarantee that he's even going to be available if you get a single digit pick. Because not like the Pacers are on track to like the number one pick or the number two pick or number three. And I mean, this kid's going to go. In my opinion, I don't think he, could, he drops below the top five, and it's still not a guarantee that the Pacers get a top five pick. So it's been fun to dream that dream for a lot of them, but um, that's not how sports works. I mean, you very, you very rarely get, like, the storybook ending, like a Io DeSumo to Chicago, Derrick Rose to Chicago, you know, LeBron in Cleveland and things like that. Um, so we'll see. But um, I think it, I think at this point it's pretty safe to say they're going to get, you know, a pick that's, you know, a, a single digit. I mean, 
they're not going to reel off a 10-game winning streak anytime soon. Um, they don't have a capacity to even when they're fully healthy. And they're definitely not going to do it now with guys like Miles like Turner and Malcolm Bryant dealing with injuries that we have no idea um, the extent of. Yeah, well, I mean, Brogdon briefly returned, and LeBert came back in the same game, and they were and they lost by 20. I mean, you get two starters back, and you lose by 20. I don't think they're in any danger of uh, of uh, improving their record a whole lot. Right now, they're they're fifth. They're a half game. Um, uh, Oklahoma City is a half game ahead of them in the lottery. So you get into I don't know if it's ahead or behind in terms of how you want to look at it, but. Uh, so, and then there's a lot of teams right behind them. So they could drop significantly, as you note. Um, even, even if they don't get, they don't need to win 10 games in a row. If they just play 500 ball for a bit, that could really derail their, uh, their pick. But right now they're, they're in the fifth slot and that would, that would be the best pick they'd had since, uh, Rick Smith in 1988, um, who broke a, uh, the number two pick curse for the Pacers, um, I won't uh, go into uh, all their terrible decisions around the number two pick, but uh, <laughs> um, let's uh, try to end on a. Well, I'm gonna we'll, we'll start positive, but we might get into your own personal uh, journey uh, in the last couple of days, and that's not positive. But <laughs> let's take us. Uh, you got you're working on a story on Keeper Sykes, uh, the backup point guard for the the Pacers, who's had a remarkable story. Um, you were up in Chicago on Saturday talking to him. Just sort of take us through what you envision uh, for that piece. Yeah, and basically he had a he had like a, a camp in Chicago. I got family in Chicago, so I figured I'd go and check it out. And I actually hadn't been uh, to that gym he was at. I won't give like the entire story. I just want you all to read it. But I hadn't been to that gym in the Chicago area uh, since I was playing basketball, and you know, in AAU and stuff like that. So it was cool to kind of revisit that gym that he was in, get some photos, talk to him one on one. Got a chance to talk to his mom. Um, hopefully, in the next week or so going to be talking to other people that are close to him and, and kind of can kind of tell me more about Kiefer before the world saw him get the million dollar shot at the TBT tournament before the world saw him get a guaranteed contract with the Pacers before the world saw him score 20 at Madison Square Garden. Um, I, I, my philosophy for, for stories like this is to kind of get to the people who knew him before he was him. Um, so it'll be cool to kind of revisit that for all of you out there who want to just kind of know more about Kiefer Sykes and you haven't had a chance to, Check out the um, documentary uh, Town on Amazon Prime. It follows Kiefer basically, I believe, through like his junior year of high school, sophomore junior year of high school, throughout through his like college career. It ends with him um, playing overseas, basically. But he's had a remarkable journey. Um, he's been through a lot um, personally, and he did. He he, he basically um, was kind of like that. That he's like a beacon of hope from from where he comes from. Um, the circumstances he's overcome. And, uh, yeah, so the story will be a lot about basically picking up where the documentary left off. Like, you know, okay, it ends with him playing overseas, but obviously since then he's played in, you know, countries all over the world, um, grinded it out to basically get his shot in the NBA. And because of the COVID surge and stuff like that and some poor point guard play um, among the, you know, with the patients and injuries like that, it kind of opened the door for him to get a chance. He's made the most of it. So it was cool to, um, you know, kind of see him, Basically, go back to where it all started and, and as he says, uh, you know, do things the Chicago way. So that'll be the theme of the story, basically following Kiefer um, and figuring out how the Chicago way helped him, you know, stay the course, traveling the world and, and obviously find his way, you know, back home to stateside to play in the NBA. It is a remarkable story. I mean, even 
I mean, he went to Wisconsin Green Bay for college. It's not like, I mean, Wisconsin Green Bay has produced some NBA players, but it's not a, a hotbed of NBA players. So it's, yeah, not, yeah. A it's a lot, not a lot of positives about this Pacers season, but Keeper Sykes' um, journey and his what he's accomplished is certainly one of them. Yep, yep. I mean, and then you look at him. I, I mean, I've had a chance to talk to him one-on-one and stand right next to him. And I, um, now I believe he's as tall as me. And I will say he's not an inch taller. And I'm five foot ten. Um, we stand eye to eye. And the fact that he's in the NBA at that size. And when you look at him on the court, you know, you realize like how small he really is compared to other players. I know he doesn't want to hear any of that. You know, the heart over height mentality. That's kind of the mantra that Nate Robinson made famous, heart over height. Um, I'm sure he has a lot of heart, but it's just it's crazy to see him out there amongst the trees when you know, average NBA players are probably six five, six six at this point, and he's out there doing his thing. So, um, like I said, it'll be cool to basically just just go through um, in detail what it was like to chase his dream all over the world when there wasn't a guarantee that he would have this moment. I mean, it, it, it's cool now. The story is great, and obviously that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm even writing it is because he ended up on the Pacers. If he ended up on the Pacers, I don't write about him, but. Um, you know, this wasn't some formality where he knew, okay, in 2015 when I leave, you know, Wisconsin Green Bay and go undrafted, in six or seven years I might be in the NBA. He had no idea, um, and he actually had to, you know, uh, just stay the course and bet on himself and bet that he would be good enough to make it someday somehow, and he got his chance and he's making the most of it. Got signed to the rest of the season. Who knows what the future holds beyond that, but that's kind of the story of his career, man. And you go somewhere – he does well, but then things change, and he has to go somewhere else to prove himself again, and which could very well be the next stage of his career. But right now, it's been a lot of uh, winning for him in this season of, of his life. So it'll be cool to kind of celebrate some of those wins with him through this story, and something to hopefully, um, you know, inspire the folks that he, you know, that he takes, you know, so and holds so dearly to his heart. Hopefully, it inspires them and kind of gives everyone just a glimpse of. Um, how hard it really was for him to get to this point in his career. All right. Well, please uh, keep coming to IndyStar.com to check that out when it lands. Obviously, we'll be all over the Pacers on their current West Coast trip, um, in which uh, James fortunately uh, finally made it there. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and you can go to his Twitter timeline to see about all his excitement uh, in terms of what I'm referencing there. But we appreciate you uh, listening. And uh, check out IndyStar.com for more.